I will say this. Over, over the last few years, Graham has really um, played a much more significant role in my life, become more and more special to me. He has encouraged me greatly, and I really do consider him as a spiritual father and a, and a mentor. And um, he has once again um, blessed us and graced us to release what God's given him. What he has freely received, he's going to freely give. So let's bless Graham. Let's honor him. Okay, let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. Please just come and do what you do best. Brood over us, breathe on us, nudge us, tickle us, whatever. What, whatever. Thank you for your role in our lives. Thank you that you are here to take everything that belongs to Jesus and to disclose it to us. Thank you that you're our teacher, our trainer, our come-alongside friend, and you're our comforter. And we receive you this evening, and it's our um, delight to partner with you in our own growth, in our own encounters and experiences with God and in the furtherance of the true gospel across the earth. So please come and do what you do best. Amen. Sorry? It is? This is my dad. He's just fixing me up. Okay. Real quick, too, Graham said yes to having his talks on podcasts. So, um, so what that means is you can go to blazingfire.org. In about a week, his talks should be up online, okay? It's free. All righty. So um, <clears throat> let me read you something from the Bible. You ready for this? If you don't have a copy of this book, I, I do suggest that you get one. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, when our thought habits are not challenged, we experience less of the nature of God, less favor, and less fullness. Everything that God is doing in our life is eternal, it's not temporal. God doesn't do anything temporary. In fact, it's interesting, I, I think that the whole thing of seasons ends with the Old Testament. There are no seasons in the New Testament. because Seasons belong to a visitational culture. It's what you have in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you're in a habitational culture. And the moment you surrender your heart to Jesus, you are thrown into eternal life. So Jesus came saying, a time is coming and now is. So he came to talk to us about times. 
Because in the, in the culture that we're in, now that we're in Christ, God isn't doing anything temporary. So there are no seasons because everything's eternal. So everything, you're in a time and times. And you need to understand the time that you're in and the times that God is making available to us because we're walking in a newness of life and we're learning how to cooperate with God on an eternal basis. What God is doing in your life is eternal. It's not just lifelong. It's eternal. We are developing an eternal lifestyle right here. The only thing that happens when you're dead is you just walk through a door. I've walked through a door when I'm alive. <laughs> but we just cross the threshold. Because there's no sting for us. There's no fear for us in death. It's exciting. Uh, because we get to go to be part of a wholly different community. And we get to see what Jesus really looks like. When our thinking is changed for the long term, we are transformed. So what God is doing right now in our lives, I think every single day, is He's connecting with our thinking. Changing the way we think, changing the way we perceive, and then changing the language that comes out of that, and changing the behaviors that come out of our language. So we're learning not to be conformed to the world in our thinking. So many of us is we have grown up in the context of the world and the context, the environment that we grew up in could have been negative, traumatic, whatever, but it's based upon, uh, it's a problem-centered culture in the world. Uh, There is an inherent negativity in the world. You only have to look at the news to see that. Look at commercials. All commercials are geared to making you dissatisfied with yourself so they can sell you something. And the first thing they have to do is make you depressed about the way you live. (laughs) Then they try and convince you that if you buy this product, you'll feel so much better and you'll get this great girlfriend. (laughs) Which is problematic if you're already married. (laughs) That's totally not true, but it's funny. Without a renewal in our thinking, there is no long-term upgrade, just a short-term blessing. The mind of Christ is intentional, it's focused, and it's creative. It revolves around desire, passion, and beauty. Uh, His way of thinking elevates, it upgrades, it inspires His way of thinking connects our emotions to the fruit of the Spirit and the nature of God. So that we are learning about the joy of the Lord. And we're experiencing and encountering the joy of the Lord. And it changes who we are. It changes our personality. Who doesn't want a personality upgrade? (laughs) About 19 people don't want a personality upgrade. All righty. Your wife will slap you later. Here's the thing. Do you need some oxygen? You all right? Okay. 
Because we have a healing team, apparently. We can lay hands on you. <laughs> All right. Sounds like Muttley to the power of ten. <laughs> Here's the thing about Jesus. Every time he speaks to us, we feel happy. So if you're ever in a place when apparently God is speaking and you feel miserable, leave. <laughs> leave that place. If you come out of a church service feeling worse than what you went in, don't go back. Go someplace else in the name of Jesus. Go someplace else. For goodness sake, you only get one life. You don't want to spend it being miserable. He said this in John 15, 11. These things I, spoke, I speak to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Yeah? There is no excuse or reason for us not to be happy in Christ. Did I just say that in Polish? I don't know what's wrong with me. I just like sudden, suddenly seemed like I lapse into a foreign language. So I'm going to try and say that in English. <laughs> or, or American. <clears throat> when God speaks to you, you're supposed to be happy. I mean, I mean like... All y'all, all y'all supposed to be happy. Hey, listen, if all your thinking has brought you to a place that you don't like, have another thought. Think again, because clearly there's a better thought out there than the one you just had, right? Here's the thing, when I'm talking to people and their thinking is, you know, not in Christ, I don't want to, I don't want to continue the conversation. It's like, I'm going to time out. What are you doing letting that thought out of your mouth? I mean, your problem is your thinking. It's not your circumstances. It's the way you think about your circumstances. Your circumstances are not the problem. The way you see your circumstances is the problem. So, for example, um, 12 spies go out into Canaan to spy out the territory, right? These guys were all like, they were the roughest, toughest warriors in their tribe. It's like they, I think Israel had some kind of... Um, military version of American Idol. <laughs> they're not looking for singers. They're looking for warriors. So each tribe has its own kind of competitions and heats and everything. And their goal is to find the roughest, toughest warrior to represent our tribe as they go out there to spy out the promised land. So the guys who get called up, they're pretty tasty. You, know, you wouldn't want to meet them in broad daylight, let alone in a dark night in an alley. These guys are rough, they're tough, they're warriors, they're big, they're brave, they're bold, they have missing teeth. 
everything. Yeah, and so they send, they lay hands on these guys and they send these 12 like, you know, supermen out there to spy out the land. Ten of them came back completely unmanned. Ten of them came back with this testimony. There are giants out there and we felt like grasshoppers when we looked at them. What's that? That's a wrong thought. That's a bad thought. Bad warrior. Bad champion. They came back with, and their perception of what was out there was so flawed that it evoked in them a picture of themselves that took them from being big, rough. Some of these guys were like, you know, six foot 12 in their socks. They're big guys. But they came back feeling like a grasshopper. That's what your thinking can do for you on a bad day. Here's the thing. You're always going to get mixed messages about what you're facing. So whenever you face a giant, the enemy is going to say to you, see that guy? You can't beat him. You're not big enough. You're not tall enough. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. He's going to kick your butt. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because the enemy's whole goal is to convince you that you don't have any power. That you have no substance. That really you're nobody. You can't take him on. It's useless to take these guys on. They're bigger than you, stronger than you, better than you, faster than you. And really, you're just like a grasshopper. And so 10 guys came back with the mindset that the enemy gave them. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, came back. Caleb was super excited. It's like, dude, there are giants out there. It's amazing. They're really big. They were actually bigger than us. That was so cool. And, and here's the thing. You know, I'm looking at these giants and I'm thinking, OMG. If they're that big, how much bigger are we going to be when we take them down? Because God is with us, they shall be our prey. They're going to be worried about us. What's that? He's just got a mindset that's absolutely in line with who God is for him. So that's where we're going. We're changing our thinking, not just changing it a little bit. We're changing our thinking radically to the point where we can be bold and super confident no matter what is occurring. All lasting change comes from a renewed mind. Now, we've had many years of poorly developed thinking with no awareness of God's power to upgrade our perceptions. That's what being conformed to this world means in your thinking. It means you take all the cues for your life from the world around you. You take it from your own history and your own tradition, your own lifestyle, the, the environment you grew up in. 
You take all your thinking from those places. And it's like a kind of background conversation that replays the same tape in your head all the time. That when you come up against certain situations, it's like that tape comes on and you default to a lifestyle that's less than what God has actually designed for you to have. And you get messages come to you in the present from your hurts, from your wounds, from the defensiveness or the aggression that you've grown up with, rather than from the goodness, the peace, the grace, the love, and the kindness of God. I hear voices. Anybody else here hear voices? We all hear voices. All the time. (laughs) Here's the thing. Every thought you have has a sponsor. Every thought you have has a sponsor. Some of the thoughts you have are sponsored by the enemy. Some of the thoughts you have are sponsored by people who don't like you. Some of the thoughts you have are sponsored by experiences you've had in your life that have not been good. Some of the thoughts we have come from vows that we have taken. Because something bad has happened to us and we stand up and we say, I'll never do that again. We get hurt in a relationship, I'm not going to love again. I'm not putting myself out there to get my butt kicked. I'll never trust again. We learn how to be wary. We learn how to be distant. We learn how to be isolated. We learn not to trust. We learn not to step in into relationships. We are tainted by our history and the thinking that comes from it. Not that there's anybody in this room have problems like that. (laughs) But our thought processes come from those places. We have sponsors. Some of our thought processes come from the Holy Spirit. They come from believers around us, people who love us, good parents, great brothers, sisters, and so on and so forth. So we're all being sponsored well and maybe being sponsored badly. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10 it talks about take every thought captive. Here's the thing. It's not just saying take every bad thought captive. It's saying take every thought captive. That means you take the thoughts of God captive. Our difficulty is is that we would rather believe in something negative than believe in something wonderful. But you have to take a wonderful thought captive. Why? Because that has to be established in your thinking, in your behavior, and in your actions. And so many of us, we have great thoughts but we don't process them through to an agreeable action that means that heaven can line up with us. 
We have good intentions, but we don't do anything about them. We didn't take that thought captive. So we allowed it to go. We allowed it to slip away from us. God shows us what His will is, but we don't take that thought captive. So we allow it to slip away from us. And then we wonder why two or three months later, we're in this place of negativity and how did I get here? We never took the words of God captive. There are people in this room who have prophetic words spoken over you, but you've never taken them captive. You've never locked them up in your heart. You've never actually worked through them. You read it, you got excited, but you let it go. And now you're in situations where you need that prophecy to come alive, but it's locked in a drawer somewhere. You never took it captive. You have to take every thought captive. It's a simple process. You hear it, you write it down, you pay attention. You study it. You think about it. What does this mean? If I think this thought, if I follow this through, what is the impact it's going to have on my life? We become intentional with God. When God shows you something, if God gives you a prophetic word, for example, you know, you write that word out, you pass it out to a few friends because you want to be accountable, and you have conversations with a few friends about the word you've just received. And the question you have to ask, the first thought you need is this. What kind of person do I need to become in order to see this word fulfilled? See, asking that question enables you to take that prophetic word captive in your own heart. It's like you grab hold of it, you slap the handcuffs on and you attach it to yourself. You take it captive. I want this word to stay around. I want this thought to stay around. So I'm taking it captive and I'm not letting it go. There are some thoughts we need to take captive in order to imprison them somewhere else. There are some thoughts we take captive in order to lock them into our own heart and our own thinking. Take every thought captive. Our mindset, our thinking, has to follow suit. It has to be in line with the new man. So let me read you something here from the Bible. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on those things. If you don't deliberately do that, I guarantee that you will do the opposite. You'll think the worst of people, not the best. You'll be suspicious, wary, mistrustful, contemptuous, sarcastic. You'll do all of that stuff 
at some point. These, these are, this is a deliberate act. Do this. Think this way. Because we are training our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit to think as Jesus would think. And that way of thinking is totally transformational. So talking this afternoon... It, you know, the, the scripture says that as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus came praying on earth as it is in heaven. So we are not being conformed to this world. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind because we are hearing things and receiving things from a totally different dimension. We're part of the kingdom. We're in the world. We're not of it. We're of the kingdom. We're citizens of heaven living here on earth, which means we take all our direction, all of our thinking from the place of heaven because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have a mindset that comes from a place outside of this world. It's out of this world thinking. (laughs) Colossians 3 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because you're not supposed to be conformed to the way that the world around you thinks. Someone said to me about a a really dear friend of mine that was going to come into my team. They said, you know, Graham... I would think twice about taking her because she has baggage. And I said, no, she doesn't. She has luggage that she hasn't unpacked yet. Here's the thing. How do I know that's true? It's because everything negative about her has already been put on the cross. That means that includes all of her baggage. So she doesn't have baggage because it's Jesus took it. He's a baggage handler. Except he doesn't work at any airport we've ever been to. But Jesus took all of her baggage And he gave her luggage instead. That's what prophecy is. It's luggage. It's God saying, this is how I see you. Think about this for a while. God gives us prophecies so we know how we are known in heaven. We know how God sees us. The question before all of us is, can you believe what God is saying about you? That's what the Bible is for. It's so that we can understand the mind of Christ towards us. It's so we can understand the heart of God towards us. Can you believe what God is saying about you? Here's the difficulty. Some of us can't. Because we've got minds like vacuum cleaners. We suck up any old rubbish. Can someone from the healing team just sit next to her? Just for my own peace of mind. Because I just, I don't want anyone to die laughing. 
Baby, you're freaking me out. <clears throat> I guess this is my opportunity to get more peace then, right? Jesus came praying on earth as it is in heaven. What does that really mean? It means this. If it doesn't exist in heaven, it cannot exist in you in this life. Right? I said that in English, right? Yes. Yes. If it doesn't exist in heaven... It cannot exist in your life because that's illegal behavior. So, uh, are there any negatives in heaven? Are there any problems in heaven? So, what if there are no problems in your life? If you're in the world and you don't know Jesus, you're going to have problems. The Bible, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Right? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Hey, cheer up, because I've found a way for you not to be conformed to that whole thing. Yeah? So in the world you'll have problems, but in the kingdom you have possibilities. Because Jesus said what? He said, all things are all things are possible. So we don't have problems in the kingdom. We have possibilities. Which is pretty exciting, I think. Here's the thing is, when you have the mind of Christ, you have to think about things in exactly the way that He sees them. He allows us, He allows in His wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. Why? Because he's teaching us stuff. He's teaching us a way of thinking. So when a, pro- when a, when a, when a problem comes into our life, it's, a problem is designed to show you that a provision is present that you might miss if the problem wasn't there. Yeah. Sometimes we get a problem because we're not focused on God enough to see the possibilities that are around us. It's like we're sleepwalking through life and the one thing a problem does is it slaps you upside the head. It wakes you up. It concentrates your thinking. It gives you a bit of focus because we have to do something about this. Well, sometimes the problem comes because you're out of focus anyway, and the problem is designed to tell you that there is a provision present that you could miss if you're not careful, but this problem is designed to wake you up so you see what's possible around you. And then sometimes God allows a problem because He wants to enlarge us, He wants to upgrade us, He wants to make us more than we are. And so he allows times of difficulty and so on. Why? Because that's his way of growing us up. Come on. Here's the thing with the Lord. He never sees anything as a problem. He sees everything as a possibility. So he sends things into our life in order to upgrade who we are. 
But the brilliant thing about the Lord is, you know, when he speaks to us, he always gives us an outcome. Like when you get a prophetic word, you have an outcome. That means you're going to survive the process. But what if God wants you to do more than survive? What if he wants you to prosper? The wisdom of the world says, if you're going through hell, move quickly. Jesus is the only person who went to hell and prospered. He came out of hell with more than he went in with. He went in with all our sin and our baggage and our negativity and he came out with all these captives. So while he's in hell, he's just opening doors and saying, all y'all come with me. You know, just get ready. In three days time, there's going to be a blinding light and we're all out of here. He led captivity captive. He came out of hell with more than he went in with. He prospered. The devil had him for three days in his domain and couldn't do anything with him. I thought that was funny. So our thinking touches every area of life from our inward disposition to our outward outlook. And when our thinking is renewed, our whole life, our whole being is transformed. When you start to think like Jesus, everything is exciting. Everything's an adventure. Everything is like, gives you a sense of wonder. Even if it's just, I wonder what God's going to do now. That qualifies as wonder. Right? So we develop a sense of wonder because we're not stood here going, this is it, Captain, we're doomed. We're like, whoa, I wonder what God's going to do with this. This could be really exciting. Those are the best people to be around. Unless you really want to have a pity party. Unless you want to complain and whine and moan, which is the worship language of hell. Ouch. Oh, I felt that one. I felt that one. Ouch. That's what my granddaughter calls. That's an owie, Grandpa. It's an owie. Ouch. In David's language, in Psalm 30, 11, he said, God turned my, wa- my wailing into dancing. He took my sackcloth and he clothed me with joy. That's what renewed thinking does. Yeah? Learning to think like God is essential. This is not an optional extra in salvation. This is absolutely vital. We must learn to think like Jesus. We must learn to see the thing the way that Jesus sees it. 
We have to think about it the way that he thinks about it. And then we have to form words. We have to make language that says, this is what God is doing. This is what's happening. So we get to be prophetic in our own life. And your language changes when you learn to confess what God is showing you, when you learn to declare the word of God to your circumstances, and when you learn to proclaim to the enemy, you've got no power over me here because this is what God is doing. So your language changes. Now, when you receive prophecy into your life, it's the end of supplication. It's the beginning of proclamation. Because when you receive a prophetic word in your life, you don't go into prayer asking God to give you those things. He's just said you can already have them. Right? So you don't ask God for what He's already told you you can have. So when you know the will of God, you don't have to make supplication and pray. Now you need to confess, you need to declare, and you need to proclaim. Your language changes. So, you're, so you move from prayerful supplication with thanksgiving. You move from that into full-blown worship. Thank you, Lord. Yes. And then you quote back to God. I love reading all my prophecies to the Lord as part of my devotion. I read the Bible to God. I said, Lord, are you ready? I'm going to read you. Ephesians chapter 1. And then I read it out loud to him. Then I hear the Lord saying, Oh, I remember. That is so... Read it again. That is so good. Read it to me again. Yeah? And there are times when I get a prophetic word out. I say, Lord, here's a word from 1999 that's not come to pass yet. So I'm reading it to you as a reminder. For me, possibly for you. But this is what you said. This is what you said. And then I read it. And it goes, I remember when I gave you that word. You had that really weird hairdo. I remember once the Lord said to me, I remember that word. You had that black eye that you got in that rugby game. Which is true. The, the prophet picked me out because I had a really great shiner. <laughs> My eye was like half closed. I looked like Quasimodo's second cousin. <laughs> and he picked me out. He said, the guy at the back, no, not you, not you. The guy with the black eye. <laughs> I said, I remember the black eye. I remember how you got it. I got it because I was doing something illegal on the field. <laughs> That's a different story. I like to chop people down and then pray for them as I was getting up. I know, I know. Not good. Not Philippians 4.8. I know, I know. Here's the brilliant thing. A renewed mind is rooted in the nature of God. It's rooted in the affections of God. It's rooted in the love of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. We always have joy and peace in believing. You always know when someone's not believing because they're anxious and worried. The Bible says we can have joy and peace in believing. Here's, 
You might not know this, but um, we are believers. Just thought I'd let you know, in case it slipped your mind. That's one of those thoughts you didn't capture. You are believers. And believers have joy and peace in believing. That's how you know that we are believers. So when I see someone anxious and worried, I am wondering what on earth are they believing? Let me tell you now, if you're anxious, you're believing something. Just go ahead and slap yourself. If you are anxious, if you are fearful, you are definitely believing something. You are believing a thought that's been sponsored by the enemy. It's like the enemy is going, I gave you that thought and I approve this message. I'm telling you. You're being sponsored right now. You're being sponsored. Who's your sponsor? You know, look at some of the thoughts you've been having in recent times. Who on earth is behind that thought? Guys, you have to at least ask that question. Who is sponsoring that thought? It's like I have a chat with some of my friends and, you know, it's like they come out with something negative and I'm going, oh, sponsor alert, sponsor alert. They're going, what are you doing? I'm saying, every time I hear a negative thought, like this blue light flashes in my head. It's a sponsor alert. Dude, you're being sponsored right now. Who, who on earth sponsored that thought? Because I don't want to deal with the thought. I want to deal with the sponsor. Right? Where did that thing come from? We've grown up with a world system of perception, thinking, and language. We don't want to be subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The way the world thinks, the way our old nature thinks, and the way that the devil thinks. We have been set free from all those three things. To think like Jesus thinks, to think in line with the kingdom, and to think in line with our new nature. Right? So that is what we're learning. And guys, we need to learn it. Some of us have been Christians way too long, and we still haven't got this thing you know, way off. We still haven't got this thing dealt with. We still haven't got, you know, through in this whole vital area of you are designed to think like God thinks. You've got Christ in you who thinks in a completely different way from your old nature. You have a new nature that thinks radically different from your old one. And it is supposed to be fun It is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun to participate 
in the changing of your thought life. You know what they say about fundamentals, fundamentalists, right? They're no fun and mainly mental. They have a way of thinking that's no fun. Listen, there are no Eeyores in heaven. I'm pretty sure he's going to get changed into Piglet on the way up. There are no Eeyores in heaven. There are no pessimists. No pessimists in heaven. Everyone's looking forward to everything. Every day is different. <laughs> I feel like I'm flogging a dead horse. <laughs> this is funny. Dear Lord Jesus, help me. Okay, you're forcing me to read the Bible. I know, I know it. Here we go then, you asked for it. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. It will kill you. It will kill your promise, it will kill your prophecy, it will kill your vision, it will kill your lifestyle, it will kill relationships around you. A mind set on the flesh is death to everything. It will destroy relationships, it will cause you to step back from what God really wants you to be. You'll be in this safe place, not actually having any adventures with God at all, because fear rules you, which means you can't take a risk, so you're never going to have an adventure. Listen, it's not an adventure unless something goes wrong. There are no safe adventures. In every adventure, something's going to go wrong somewhere, but this is how you learn to be an overcomer. This is where you learn to be a hero. This is where you learn to step up. This is where you learn to step into something and become a legend in your own lunchtime. Right? It's not an adventure until something goes wrong. But when something goes wrong, all the resources of heaven belong to you. And that the very least we have to do is just learn to stand. Just stand still. Here's the difficulty that the enemy has. He has no patience. So if you have patience, you so are going to win. Because he doesn't have any. But sometimes you just have to wait him out. Sometimes when I'm waiting on the Lord, I have no idea... The consternation that that brings to the enemy. It's like, I can't, make, I can't make him worried. It's like that demon that's trying to oppress me with something. He's phoning back to hell saying, I don't know what to do. I mean, he's in this place of rest and I can't get him out. How many of us know that the enemy has come trying to get us out of what God has put us in? And the Holy Spirit is here to teach us to stay. Abide, stay, just dwell in this place. If you learn to abide, abiding is the key to the New Testament lifestyle. We're learning how to stay where God has put us. The enemy is trying to pull us out of what God has put us in. 
So learning to abide, Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you and you can ask for whatever you want and it will be done. That's powerful. Abiding is the key to life in the spirit. The enemy is seeking to take you out of what God has put you into. Yeah? We're learning to stay. And the way that we stay is we have a brilliant thought about our circumstances. We're all designed to think brilliantly. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. But the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Your thinking in Christ is designed to make you peaceful and restful. In fact, your rest and your peace is like a fortress to the enemy. Because the only way he can get you to do what he wants is to make you fearful, to make you anxious, to make you worried, to make you panic. Because when you're in that mindset, he can do whatever the hell he likes. And I'm not saying that as a cuss word. I'm saying that his design is to bring hell into your life. And when you open yourself in your thinking to anxiety and fear and worry and panic, when you start speculating negatively, you are absolutely wide open for the enemy to come and do whatever he wants. So the mind of Christ gives you a fortress mentality that the enemy cannot break into. The mind of Christ gives you peace. A mindset on the spirit is life. It gives you life. It provokes life. It promotes life. And it gives you peace. That the enemy cannot actually penetrate. There is a place set aside for you in the spirit. Where you can make the enemy tired. And weary discouraged, depressed, requiring therapy. All the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is a more powerful weapon against the enemy than the gifts. You can defeat the enemy with your peace. You can weary him with your joy. You can depress him because you insist on being the beloved. You can totally discourage him with your patience. All the fruit of the Spirit is designed to enable you to become like Jesus. And so the very nature of God oppresses the enemy. So just learning kindness is oppressive to the devil. Whatever you do for God, you automatically do against the enemy. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Here's the thing. When you participate willingly in anxiety and fear and worry, you are lining up against God. Why? Because you are hostile to who God is for you 
And what and you're hostile to your own prophetic development. You are hostile to your upgrade. You can't see a way through all this thing. You are you have chosen a side. Why don't you just slap yourself again? You've chosen sides. There are real consequences to your anxiety. There are consequences to you maintaining that fear. There are consequences to you continuing to be worried. You cannot worry and trust the Lord at the same time. Because those two things, they're incompatible. They cannot live in the same space at the same time. One of them has to go. You get to choose. And if you don't deliberately choose trust, you have chosen the negative thing by default. Not choosing what God is giving you is still choosing. You understand that, right? Every negative thing has a consequence. Every positive thing has a consequence. Sometimes we are completely undone because the thought we have takes us into this whole illegal place of perception, mindset, and behavior that lines us up with the purposes of the enemy and not the purposes of God. The consequences, beloved. I was talking to a guy, to a, a, a girl. Just, you know, just there's some kind of party, and there's a group of us standing around, and and she was like, "Yeah, well, that's me. I'm a warrior." <laughs> and I'm looking at her, going, and I just said, "Excuse me." She said, "Well, that's me. I'm a warrior." I said, "Where'd you get that from?" Shall I've been like that all my life. I said, so there's no point Jesus being in your life then. Because clearly you have no plans to change. She looked at me and she went, excuse me? I said, no point in you having Jesus in your life, sweetheart. What you're saying is, I am a warrior, that's it. Here's the thing, you're a new creation in Christ, which means you have a DNA. That's different. And she said, don't you preach to me. I said, sweetie, somebody has to because that kind of mindset is going to kill you. It's going to kill your life. It's going to kill your faith. It's going to kill your trust. It's going to kill relationships. And when you really need to believe for something powerful, you're going to be light years away from being able to do it. What if one day someone's life depends upon what you believe? You keep on with that negative stuff. You won't be in a place to believe something when it's absolutely critical. Have a nice party. You know that all truth is inconvenient, right? 
All truth is inconvenient. There's often seldom a good time to be truthful nicely. All truth is upsetting. Why? Because, you know, all of us want a great awakening. Most of us are going to have a rude awakening. (laughs) Truth is a rude awakening. It slaps you upside the head. Read Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. That's not nice. It's not sweet. But it's exactly what they need. Why? Because the spirit of stupid has got hold of them. They're being dumb about what they're believing. You can go into most churches in the country and you will see dumb people. I see dumb people. Occasionally, when I'm shaving, I see a dumb person. It's like, you used to look better than that. I'm looking at a dumb person. What promises have you stopped believing? What backward steps are you taking? What forward steps are you not taking? It's all down to your thinking. Let me read you something else from the Bible. I'm just glad I'm not preaching on a building site right now because everyone will be reaching for a half brick. Stone him. Listen to this one then. It's 1 Corinthians 2. You ready for this one? Verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Listen, God did not invent logic, reason, and rationale. He invented wisdom. He created wisdom. The only time God speaks to your reason is when you've sinned. Then he says, come now, let's reason together. The rest of the time, he says, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So he says, let's reason together. Then he prophesies. The rest of the time, what does he say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Yeah? Don't lean on your own understanding. There is a peace that passes understanding. You can't, if you could understand everything that was God was saying, you wouldn't need to have trust and faith. There is a reason why God speaks you in, to you in a mystery. There is a reason why He speaks to you in dreams and visions. 
Why? Because he wants you to access a part of your DNA that's not logical, that's not reasonable, and it's not rational. It's imaginative. God gave you an imagination so that you could pray, so that you could see things outside the box and beyond the box. So Ephesians 3.20 says what? Who can quote it? God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Stop there for a minute. Beyond all that we can ask or think. What is beyond thinking? That's your imagination. Israel sang... When the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. They've been dreaming about freedom. We dream about things. We think about things beyond a logical time space. God gave us imagination so that we could connect with Him, that when the Spirit connected with us, we could actually have an expanded way of thinking that could enable us to see more than was humanly, rationally, logically possible. When you take a look through the Bible and some of the stories, most of them are absolutely and utterly illogical. Many of the ways of God are not logical. Gideon has 32,000 men. He's outnumbered four to one. All the sergeants are walking around saying, Dude, you just got to kill four and you can have a coffee. Kill four, Starbucks. They're handing out Starbucks cards. Kill four, go take one of these. The guys have got you, Sarge. Kill four, coffee. Brilliant. Meanwhile, God's nudging one of the angels saying, do you not think Gideon's got too many men? I know these guys. If by some fluke they get a victory, they'll be impossible to live with for the rest of their life. They'll all be going around high-fiving each other. We're bad. So he sends this word that says, hey, anybody who's scared right now, you can go home, eh? 22,000 guys can't believe their luck. It's like, brilliant, the World Series is on, let's go. So now suddenly Gideon finds himself outnumbered like 16 to 1, 40 to 1. And then God chooses your army based on whether he likes the way you drink your water. Is that logical? Take, okay, we take... 10,000 guys down to the river and we'll just choose the ones that are watchful and just lapping from their hand. And we'll send all the rest home. And, and Gideon now has 300 men, which is less than 1% of what he started out with. And then God says to him, now you can go out and surround the enemy. And Gideon's thinking, what? Math is not your strong point, eh? You all missed that day in college or something. Simple math. I couldn't have surrounded them with 32,000. How the heaven do I surround them with 300? 
And God's going, okay, fair point, fair point. Listen, uh, Gid, would you like a prophecy? Gideon's thinking, yeah, thanks. Well, go down into the camp of the enemy and I'll give you one. And Gideon's like, excuse me, uh, can I not have one here? And the Lord said, well, technically, yes. It's going to be a lot more fun down there. So here's Gideon, right, in the middle of the night. His huge enemy encampment, 160,000 men, tripping over guy ropes and everything, thinking to himself, I hate my life. This is the last time I'm ever going to be in a wine press making bread. And if some dude walks up to me with wings on his back, I am going to punch him out. So somebody tell me, in all that acreage of canvas, how does he end up outside the one tent where there's a guy inside having a really weird dream? So Gideon stood there thinking, what am I doing here? And suddenly, there's a scream for this tent next to him. And the guy goes, ah, I just had this really bizarre dream. The whole tent wakes up. What, what, what? Well, I had this dream of this huge round loaf of bread come crashing down the hill and obliterating the camp. And one of the guys in the tent says, I know what that means. That's the sword of Gideon. We're doomed. <laughs> Gideon is outside the tent going, round loaf of bread, sword. Round loaf of edible thing, sharp, pointy thing. I don't get it. But the enemy is prophesying their own destruction. Is any of that logical? You don't take the most fortified city on earth by walking around it for six days saying nothing. Then on the seventh day, apparently, you can shout and the walls will fall down. If I gave you that prophetic word, you'd have me committed. Every girl in this room knows you won't get my fella doing that. What, walking around for six days just saying nothing? Nah, forget that. That's just stupid. They'd all be walking around moaning, complaining. What are we doing here, man? This is mad. I know. Well, you know, I think, I think Joshua's like taking a turn for the worst, you know. We need a new leadership. Every girl in this room knows her husband is going to be, you know, using the worship language from hell for six days, at least under his breath. Is that logical, though? Hey, on the seventh day, just shout. And those walls will come down. All righty then. Keep taking your meds. Let's get back to this Bible thing. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. 
the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the enemy really knew that Jesus could save the world by hanging on a cross, he would have chopped down every tree in Israel. Right? Just checking. But just as it's written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You need to have access to brilliant thinking so that you understand what God has put into your life in every single situation and circumstance. You need to be seeing those things. You need to be hearing the voice of the Lord. But you're not going to see and hear if your mind is in the wrong place. I'm trying. (laughs) For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of the God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak. Whatever God shows you, you've got to speak it out. It's got to become part of your language. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. If you're not living in the mind of Christ, some of the things that God will say to you will not make sense and you will talk yourself out of something that God is trying to talk you into. How many of us know that God's trying to talk us into stuff? Yeah? And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. To appraise something is to evaluate its worth. Its worth, its significance, and and the status of the thought that you are having. When you have a thought, you've got to take it captive and you have to examine it. Is this thought in line with who God is for me? What, does this thought have any worth? Does it have any significance? Does it give me any upgraded status in terms of my relationship with God? To appraise means to set a value on thinking properly. That's why we don't deal with a negative. We exchange it for a better thought and we deal with that. If you've got a negative in your uh, thought in your head that's bringing you to a place that's not good, you don't deal with that thought. You just ask the Lord for a better one and you deal with that. We never, ever, 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 ever deal with a negative thought we exchange it that's what repentance means think again so in our conversations with each other 
When your friend comes out with a negative thought, it's like, oh, time out. There's a better thought in you than that one. Let's take that thought captive, put it over here. What's a better thought than this? Sometimes it's, what's the opposite of that thought? Let's think that one. We don't deal with a negative thought. We're not counseling people over their negativity. We're counseling them over how to have a better thought than that. You understand that? God is not dealing with your negative thinking. He's just saying, no, think something better. And then let's talk about that one. Choose a better thought and we'll have a conversation. But I am not having a conversation with you about this thought. Because there's a better one out there, let's choose that. If all your thinking has brought you to a place that you don't like, have another thought. And let's actually work on that one. Take this bad thought captive and ask the Lord for the better thought and then we can engage in conversation, dialogue and prayer. A negative thought is caused by a negative picture. Your perception. Your circumstances are not the problem. Your perception of your circumstances is the problem. Let me just finish just by telling you a story. I know some of you have heard this story before, but it really illustrates what the Lord wants to do in our life. So I'm in a dinner party in Sacramento. And there's friends and strangers, people I don't know, I've never met. And it's a European meal, which basically means you have a rectangular table. We have 16 people and we have like eight courses of food. Yeah, so the meal lasts, uh, European meals generally last about four hours. Yeah, so um, because we have small portions, we eat really well and we have tons of fellowship. Yeah. So what happens is you have your first course and you talk to the people opposite you. Yeah? So you have all your knives and forks laid out, you know. So you eat from the outside in. So you take your knife and fork, whatever it is, you eat the first course, you talk to the people in front of you. And then when when they're announcing the second course, everyone stands up, moves two places to the left, and sits down. And we have our second course, which means you've got different people in front of you. So each course, you move two places to the left. So you've always got different people in front of you, so you can have different conversations all evening. Yeah, it's brilliant. So much fun. That's what we call fellowship in Europe. So I'm ta- eventually, I'm talking to this woman who I don't know. Never met her. So I just said, well, tell me something about yourself. What, what's, the, what's the last, what, what int- is there any interesting thing that's happening in your life right now? And she said, well, funny you should say that because I've just got my dream job. So I've just been interviewed and I've just been told uh, a couple of days ago that I've got my dream job and I've got my starting date. She said, it's wonderful. It's an ideal company. There's gonna, it's a great pay, great working conditions, great benefits. The training is fabulous. And it's the leading company in its field. And I said, wow, you must be delighted. And then her face, whole face changed. And, and she looked like she was scared to death. And she said, actually, I'm extremely fearful. I feel sick. I feel anxious. 
I feel paranoid that I won't be good enough. And you can see this fear of failure etched on her face. I mean, she is like, this is the best company in this field. Like, what are they doing choosing me? You know, she's absolutely scared to death. And so she looks at me and I said, but I said, okay, what if you're not extremely fearful? What if you're just apprehensive? That's normal, right? It's a new job, new people. Will you fit in? Lots of things to navigate. It's normal to be apprehensive. What if you're not extremely fearful? What if you're apprehensive? And she thought for a, a minute or so and she went, yeah, you know what, you're right. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. I'm just, you know, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. You're right. You're right. I, I, I'm apprehensive. Thank you so much. That, that really just puts things into perspective for me. Thank you. I'm, I'm apprehensive. I said, cool. But what if you're not? What if you're not apprehensive? <clears throat> what if you're a little anxious, but you're also intrigued? I mean, it's a great company, professional people who see good things in you. The training program is excellent. What if you're just a little anxious, but you're also intrigued because you're going to be part of this fabulous company? And she thought for a minute. She went, huh, you know what? You're right. And she went, thank you, Lord. Thank you for sitting me opposite this dear man. Thank you. She said, you're right. I, I am a little anxious because that's like normal. But actually, I am intrigued. Now that, now that you mention it, I am intrigued about the training. There's some training things I've always wanted to do. And now I get to do them. And, and you're right, they, they wouldn't have, they're not stupid people, they wouldn't have picked a stupid person. So yeah, I, I am a little anxious because that's normal, but actually, yeah, I, I am intrigued by how things could work out for me. That's brilliant, thank you so much. I said, no problem, but what if you're not? What if you're not? What if you're not anxious and intrigued? What if you're mildly nervous, but really excited? Yeah? So we've gone from extreme fear, to apprehension, to a little anxious, to being mildly nervous, but really excited. You said it's your dream job. You said that God was, giving you, God was with you in the interview. You knew His presence. You knew the answers. You were peaceful. Presence of God was there. You've got his promise to be with you. So what if you're just a little, you know, mildly nervous, but really excited about what God's going to do for you? And she said, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. She said... You're right, I'm supposed to be way more excited than I am nervous. So I'm really excited, but mildly nervous. She said, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's exactly what I should be like. Mildly nervous, but really excited. That, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I said, no problem. But what if you're not? 
What if you're not mildly nervous and really excited? What if you're quietly confident and really joyful? Because here's the thing. I don't even want negativity in a mild way. Right? It has no place. It's on the cross. So we don't make allowances. You know, logic says, well, you know, it's okay to be a little bit nervous, apprehensive. Now, there is no logic in the kingdom that says that. All those things are negative. They're part of your own nature. They're dead in Christ. Shut up. You don't let those things speak. You don't even accept a tad of negativity. She said, yeah, I'm mildly nervous and really excited. But what if you're not? What if you're quietly confident and really joyful? God proved his presence in the interview. He's given you your dream job in an ideal company. And he's going to empower you to do that job in Jesus' name. That's the truth that sets you free. And she looked at me for a few minutes. And she smiled. And she said... Confidence with joy. That's the new me. 17 minutes. 17 minutes between bites of food. That's my world record for changing someone's mindset into the mindset that God wanted for them. 17 minutes in between bites of food. That's the Holy Spirit for you. He will, not, he will never make allowances for any kind of negativity. Not when Jesus has died for all of it. And it belongs to him. So let's pray. Put everything on the floor. Here's the thing. Before I do anything else, I need to give you a kingdom health warning. Right? Kingdom health warning. If you stand up to say that you want to pursue the mind of Christ, God is going to take you literally. And even if you change your mind tomorrow, He's not. I'm serious as a heart attack. He is not. So, he is going to totally reinvent your lifestyle by empowering you to see the way he sees, to think the way he thinks, and to speak the way that he would speak. So you're going to go on a crash course of thinking brilliantly. Alrighty? So, kingdom health warning is over. If you want to have the mind of Christ and stand up, assume the position because we're going to pray. You're going to be on a crash course of partnering with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Don't go through this on your own. Go through this as a family because you need to be encouraging each other. You've got things to unlearn. You've got things to unthink, unfeel, 
so that you can feel differently, you can think differently, you can see differently. Yeah, It's best to go through this in a small group. A family, husband and wife team, best friends, your home group, whatever. Okay? Whatever. Right? You're going to go through it. I don't know. That came from my daughter. She who must be loved and provided for at all times, apparently. Don't go through this by yourself because you'll cheat. Listen, you got yourself here by cheating. Cheating on the Bible. Cheating on the Lord Jesus. Cheating on the cross. I'm just saying. Don't do it by yourself because you'll cheat. You'll step back. You'll give up. You'll allow yourself to be persuaded that it's too hard. Yeah. Here's the thing. Your friends will get rid of your bad sponsors faster than you. (laughs) Your friends will say, sponsor alert, sponsor alert. Where did that thought come from? Take Take that captive right now. So we're going to encourage each other. You know, God may wink at things, but the brethren don't let you get away with nothing. So do it in groups. And here's the thing. Could you please just enjoy the freedom? Enjoy the process. Enjoy working out your salvation. Enjoy getting one over on the enemy. Enjoy actually putting those old past thoughts completely back in the grave. Yeah? Enjoy the process. Don't endure it. Enjoy it. Enjoy every single thing. It's going to be relentless. Enjoy the relentless nature of it. If you want to be quickened, it means God speeds things up. It means that he's teaching you how to be as intentional and relentless as he is. Don't let any thought live that shouldn't be there. Take every good thought captive inside your heart. Take the bad thoughts captive and put them away from you. If you do it in groups and friends, you will grow in leaps and bounds. Because you'll be there to encourage each other, to support one another, to watch over each other's language. To say, why are you th- what are you seeing when you say that? What are you seeing? I don't think you're supposed to be seeing that. Something else to be seen. Why are you thinking that thought when it's a better one? What's a better thought than that? What just came out of your mouth? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> we get to encourage each other. Make it joyful. Make it happy. Make it humorous. Don't get in each other's faces. There's no need to stick your finger up somebody's nose. Right? Make it humorous. It's like, dude, what was that? Sponsor alert. Make it funny because it is. Make it enjoyable because it is. Why? Because this is where you start to learn how to win. How to think big. How to overcome. How to get revenge on the enemy. You should enjoy this process. 
Make it delightful. And it will be. So you ready? Assume the position. Yahoo. Feel the Holy Spirit rubbing his hands with glee. He's thinking of all the fun he's going to have in your life from this night on. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He loves games. He will turn this whole thing into a game because he is just about the funnest, most exciting, most exuberant person I have ever met in my entire life. He loves games. He'll turn it into a game. He's good at games. He invented most games. All righty. Father, here we are. And Lord, we, we, we are realizing right now that we are standing on the threshold of our own greatness. We're standing on the threshold of majesty and we're learning to step into a land of promise because we are backed up by your magnificence, by your majesty, by your supremacy, by your authority. So Lord, in the name of Jesus... I take authority over all carnal thinking in this room and anybody who's listening on a CD or a podcast, whatever, (coughs) in the name of Jesus, I'm taking authority over your natural mind in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would... Bring us into our rightful mind in Christ. I pray, Lord, that there would be a constant flow of excitement in our spirit. This is it. I am going to partner with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to partner with my friends. And we are going to move into a totally different dimension of thinking, perception, language, and behavior. And Lord, I'm committed to this. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to speak prophetically to us, that our thoughts would not just not be negative, but they would actually be prophetic, that we would learn wisdom, we would become wisdom, that we would actually understand, start to understand some of the mysteries of God, and that we would know, Lord, that you have predestined for us a way of thinking that allows us to come be up to speed with all the things that you want to give us. And so I pray, Lord, that all of the blessings that have been held up in our life, all the blessings that have been stockpiled over our head in the name of Jesus, all the unclaimed upgrades in our life, that they would all start to fall into our life and our circumstances because now we are deliberately, relentlessly aligning our thinking with the mind of Christ. In fact, Lord, we confess that we have the mind of Christ. We confess that Christ is in us and we are in Him and we have His mind. And so we're going to let that mind be in us. We're going to seek the mind reset which comes from above, not the one that comes from the world around us. We are seeking the things which come from above. 
So I pray, Lord, I ask for a time where we will come into victory after victory after victory in our thinking, in our perception, that our whole language will change, that our whole rejoicing and thanksgiving will change, and you will turn us into different men and different women in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening.